For the first time ever, I am thrilled to say we have an official sponsor for the Dirk Talk podcast, and that's Ariat. I've worn Ariat boots on every job site I've visited over the years, traveling in them across five continents. More importantly, I have yet to find a single project where working folks, unlike me, are not wearing Ariat boots and workwear in every condition imaginable. And there's really good reason for that. And that's because it's phenomenal stuff. And the more I've learned about Ariat and the company, the more I've loved their brand. So with this, Ariat is offering any Dirt Talk listener 10% off their next Ariat order at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk. That's 10% off boots, jeans, and workwear at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk or at the link in this episode's description. With that, let's get to the show. Welcome back, everybody. We have the second episode of the new year. I'm really excited about this one. I've been trying to think about different perspectives I can bring to the podcast. Uh, we've had a lot of suggestions, a lot of different people come in, you know, can I be on or you should you should go talk to so-and-so. But I've been really picking through a lot of the people I've met recently, you know, who has a really unique perspective, who could bring a totally different perspective to the dirt conversation. So today... Going off that, we have Rebecca McGrew. She's the manager of environmental and regulatory affairs for North American Coal. We've been working with North American Coal for a few months now. Uh, we have some really exciting projects. I met Rebecca out in the middle of nowhere in Mississippi about six weeks ago, and uh, we had a wonderful conversation about the environment and about the regulatory nature of mining and all these sorts of things. So I thought, we need to get her on the podcast and talk about this. So, Rebecca, welcome. I'm very excited to have you on. Thank you for the invitation. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Yes, me too. And before we get started, I must remember for the disclaimer here. Um, the disclaimer is that Rebecca, while she's employed by North American Coal and the other businesses within the portfolio, her opinions and statements are her own. This was the legal requirement to get her on so she could speak more freely about the company free of having to speak for the company. So after reading that, I think I think the the legal department's going to be okay with our conversation and hopefully should be a lot more free flowing. So now that we got that out of the way, what I guess just getting right into your your title because it's a unique title that you don't hear all that often. What is manager of environmental and regulatory affairs? What do you do day to day? To boil it down in its simplest form and make sure that we stay legal, right? There's a, there's a whole slew of environmental rules and regulations that mining companies have to comply with. Uh, they're dynamic. They change. Uh, so my job is to make sure that, that we stay in compliance with all of them and think about the implications that they have on our different, our different industries and, and operations that we have around the country. So in, in mining, I mean, how many rules are there to follow? There's probably a lot oh of rules. Oh my God. A lot. So the the big ones that everybody has to comply with are the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, the Waters of the U.S. rule. There's Then there's state regulations that you have to comply with. You have to comply with the National Historic Preservation Act. You have to do NEPA for federal projects. It's just there's a lot that goes into developing a mining operation. 
from a permitting and regulatory compliance standpoint. Yeah. And, and, and I feel like a lot of people don't understand. That's why I really wanted you on is people don't understand how well thought out mining is, especially in the United States. It, globally, it still yeah. is, is, you know, trying to get there, but United States, it's, it's a very well buttoned up industry. Now, coal it and no pun intended has a little bit of a black eye when you talk about mining and, and it's just very misunderstood when you talk about coal people think like 1940s underground coal miner with black coal dust all over their face you know with a pickaxe that's not really coal mining how has you know there's these been these laws that have come out like the clean air act and those kind of things how have those changed coal mining and how have they modernized the industry you know trying to put this into words is it's almost too difficult because it's it's had an exponential impact on the industry and on the the air quality and the water quality in the United States. You know, when when these major regulations were enacted in the 70s, coal mining had a black eye, mining in general had a black eye. Many of the industries in the United States weren't focused on, you know, the environmental ramifications for their operations. And so these laws were enacted from a bipartisan standpoint to address real tangible concerns. And so when you look at how things have changed over time, it's almost indescribable. I mean, if you go to to www.epa.gov and you look at EPA's website and you you just simply type in um, air quality, you can look, they've got plenty of information and graphs that, that demonstrate the improvement of air quality over time. You know, from 1970 to 2019, the gross domestic product has increased by 285%. Mm-hmm. The vehicle miles traveled have increased by 195%. The population has increased by 60%, yet the aggregate emissions for six common pollutants has dropped by 77%. For the, for the major pollutants that we track in the U S from a national perspective, they're all in compliance. So we've, we've taken something that showed, you know, was truly harming the United States and its citizenry. And we've, we fixed it. We've made it better. We're in compliance. So these, these regulations, like a coal mine in 1970 versus now, what are the, what are the major differences? Oh my gosh. So, you know, we call it pre-law. So pre-law operations didn't have much that they had to comply with. Now, before you can turn the first shovel of dirt, you have to understand the environment that you're going to be impacting. You have to look at the groundwater. You have to look at the surface water. You have to look at the soil chemistry. You have to look at rainfall and climactic impacts. You have to understand how all of this is going to work as a system before you can even get started. And then once mining operations begin, we have to comply with the Surface Mining Control of Reclama- Reclamation Act of 1977. So we have to make sure that our reclamation, you know, stays buttoned up to the, the active operations. We have to make sure that contemporaneous reclamation is going on, that we're not leaving these legacy uh, eyesores in the post-mine landscape. You have to make sure that, that the, the post-mine landscape topography mirrors the pre-mine landscape. You have to make sure that the land is as productive or more productive than it was before mining. Our goal as, as surface coal miners is when we're done and we leave an operation, 
somebody comes in 50 to 100 years, they'd never know that we were there. It and, just looks natural. Yeah, and that's what is so surprising. So this is where coal differs from other mining, correct? There's more stringent standards on reclamation with coal than there is for metals or aggregate or anything else, correct? Absolutely. Because of those regulations set back in the 70s. In the 70s, right. Gotcha. So, but the reclamation, you're not just filling in the hole. You're you're really, truly restoring the land, and it's so well thought out how you're restoring the land. And I didn't even know, so how does the, like, it's like a bond. You have to put money basically into a bank, and then you get it out when you prove that the land is just as productive as it was before. Is that how it works? Like, can you explain how you prove things are as productive? Like, what does productive mean? And how does the government ensure that you're leaving it as productive as it was before? And, you know, and this is the beauty of a well-written regulation, right? So the the regulation says that the land will be as productive or more productive than it was prior to mining, but they leave it up to the states to figure out what that looks like. Mm. And so, you know, I'll talk to Mississippi specifically because I have the most experienced boots on the ground there. You have a set of criteria that you have to meet. So you have to demonstrate that plants are capable of growing, that you have a diverse landscape on the, the post-mined environment so that, you know, you don't have bare spots because of poor sport, poor soil quality, or you don't have trees that are unable to grow because of chemistry. And so they, they look at the ground cover. And then if we're doing um, prime farmland reconstruction, we look at the volume of, we produce hay, Mm -hmm. uh, both Bermuda grass hay and native grass hay, just depending on, on where we are. Uh, and then you look at the tonnage produced on that acre of land and you compare it to a standard. And if it's, if it's meeting that standard, then you've proven productivity uh, for forest land. You look at the number of trees growing after seven years. If you have a certain number of trees growing, then you've met that production standard. So it's very quantitative the way that you go through and you prove productivity to your bonding question, what you do in the, in the coal mining space. And, and again, we work with our States here because each state where we operate has primacy. They oversee the federal regulations. You look at the mine plan for five years, you figure out in, in the case of Mississippi, what your what the worst of the worst looks like as far as your your impacts to the landscape, the size of the disturbed ground, how much dirt needs to be moved, what you would have to do to, to button that operation up if we were to, to basically shut down prematurely. And then you take that sum of money and you go and we, we get a surety bond from a bonding company mm -hmm. that says, okay, if for some reason this mine shuts down, the state has access to you know, however many millions of dollars they would need to affect complete and final reclamation. So it's essentially an insurance policy. So in theory, if the mining company were to just disappear, sorry, we can't do anything else, you still have the money there to make sure the land is restored at the end of the day. Yes. It's, it's, it's really amazing. Yeah, and that's specific to coal mining. The, yes. There aren't the same laws with other types of mining. Correct. Yeah, it, it's and, and I have seen that. I've gone to some of these large open pits, and, and the first thing you think about is like, well, how are you guys going to fill this thing in? Because it's so ridiculously huge. The answer is, well, we don't really fill it in. We kind of just let it fill up with water when we're mm -hmm. done. It makes an awesome pond when we're done. Yes. Or lake. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's filled with not good stuff in it a lot of times, like the, the one in Montana. But 
Yeah, it's just I was so blown away by by the operation we saw in Mississippi because I have a photograph of it starts back where stripping is and then you have where the coal mining is going on and then you have where they're, they're filling it back in and then you have where they're placing topsoil and then you have uh, hay and, and pine trees and ponds and you have you know a trophy bass pond and you have your own hunting permit system and it's just it's so the land is so beautiful and 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 they said yeah we've already mined all this you would have never known it was already mined because it's so pristine and gorgeous and and the topography is identical and you guys have taken the you know the, how the water flows into account it's 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 i could not overstate how surprised i was by how beautiful the land was that you guys have left behind i am really glad to hear you say that because we are super proud of it yeah it, well and, and then that's that's the other thing is how proud you guys are of it like how how everyone talks about the land and i think it's it's interesting because you guys generate your living based on the land. Everyone that mines at the mine, the land gives them the ability to feed their families. So they're really the best stewards of that land because if they don't care for it, then they can't feed their families. And and it's it's such a direct connection to the land. So you see, like those people are, are probably the most caring individuals of any piece of land that I've seen before uh, any, anywhere in my travels, which is, it, it's really, it's such an intriguing concept and it makes perfect sense at the end of the day you guys and the loggers i've run into as well because they they protect the hell out of the forest because that's how they feed their families and people think that they're just cutting the forest down it's like no no no. we're the ones protecting them we're the ones doing this responsibly we're the ones putting a roof over your head and giving you toilet paper and doing it in a very thoughtful manner like that's what we're doing here and i feel like you guys are in kind of that same wheelhouse yeah i mean we are and, and part of it is you know we operate with a an environmental philosophy, you know, kind of interwoven throughout the entire company, right? There's a, obviously we want to mine coal and we want to do it efficiently and effectively. We've learned through time that we can accomplish that by, you know, focusing on safety first and primarily, uh, and also the environment. If you do it right the first time, then it turns out to be the, the least expensive way to, to accomplish your goals. So it's, it's kind of a win, 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 right? And, and, and that's not just the company that I work for. You know, in my role, I get the opportunity to interact with many, many different coal mining companies and, and mining companies. And, and that philosophy, for the most part, flows throughout the entire industry. You know, we recognize that historically there were issues with how coal was extracted in the United States. And as an industry, we've taken it to heart and we figured out how to fix it. And moving forward, it's something that we're all very proud of. I mean, you know, from soil sustainability to, you know, fugitive dust emission reduction programs to, you know, water, uh, making sure that our water discharges are up to par and where they need to be. Reducing and minimizing impacts as an industry is something that we're all very passionate about. There's a dog in the background, huh? There is a dog in the background making her presence known. Yeah, very active. We can get her a microphone if she wants to say something too. <laughs> so why why is coal such a target though? If, if coal is arguably the most well thought out type of mining in the States because of all these regulations and be, I mean, you guys are doing amazing things that isn't, you, you're really leading the way as far as the environment's concerned and how you guys extract things from the earth. Why Why is it also the target? There's several different reasons. When, when you think about 
CO2 and CO2 emissions with respect to, you know, fossil fire generation, coal emits the most CO2 per megawatt hour. Mm-hmm. Our coal fire generation fleet is relatively old. We don't have a lot of new coal fire generation that's been built. Part of that's because once you build a coal fired power plant, it can last for 40 to 60 years or, or even longer with the right retrofits. And so the utilities had invested heavily in coal in the 70s. And so the, the concern about CO2 happened right about the time that it would have been necessary to start replacing our aging coal fleet. So we don't have a lot of new coal fire generation. Right now, natural gas is, is cheap. And so it's inexpensive to build a natural gas-fired power plant, and it's inexpensive to produce the natural gas to burn it. So coal's in an awkward spot where even though we can mine the coal responsibly, there's not new coal-fired generation being built, mm-hmm. and, and the old coal-fired generation is being phased out, so we're just in a tricky spot. Gotcha. Why? But why is it? It's still a really important part of the, the whole power grid. Right. It's, it's, you know, everyone, and I joke about this. It's like, yeah, I, we, you know, it's it, people, you, you'll hear politicians and, and, you know, let's just go make all our power on the wind w- w- using the wind, for example, which sounds really cool. It's like, wow, that, yeah, that sounds great. I mean, if we can make all our power at the wind, like let's go for it. But then you see the reality of it, which most people don't ever see the reality of it. They just flip the switch, assume the lights just come on, not really think about how that happens. You know, I live in the reality of, you know, the how this stuff works. I've seen, you know, I, I tell people I peek under the hood of America and really look look under there to see how it functions. Why is it, it coal is still really important. So why is it so important to the power grid? It is a an amazing source of baseload generation. So the way that these coal-fired power plants work is when you turn them on, if they're allowed to operate optimally, you leave them on and they run 24 seven. Mm-hmm. They may come down for a couple of weeks a year for, you know, plant maintenance and planned uh, outages, that sort of thing. But they work best when they're allowed to just produce. Mm-hmm. And that's how up until very recently, say within the last five or 10 years, that's how they've been operated historically in the past. And when you look at the cost of coal over time, it's remained incredibly stable and incredibly inexpensive. So you combine the fact that that coal fire generation is reliable and coal is inexpensive and the cost is stable. It's it's been the backbone of our utility grid. Well, because of the concerns with CO2 and other air emissions and having the the cost to retrofit these older plants it's just fallen into disfavor from a policy perspective. And I get people's concerns with the environment. Any, any good citizen, any good human being is going to be concerned with the environment that they live in. But without the understanding of, of actual on the ground or boots on the ground implications of these policy decisions, they're sort of being made in a bubble, mm-hmm. right? Because wind, wind is great when you think about it from a, a, a consumptive, a power consumptive perspective. You don't need a fuel. All you need is for the wind to blow, but there's no thought given into, you know, the, the amount of energy that's produced by a wind turbine with respect to the amount of land that it takes up with respect to the natural resources that goes into, you know, creating the turbine itself with, you know, the fact that it's at best 
on a good day, 40% available, you know, mm-hmm. over the, the span of a year, it, there, there's just a lot of inconsistencies with our policy decisions Yeah, um, and, and, that and we're going to have to figure out. When it goes back to like that base load, you need that base load. And the problem with like wind or solar, the wind's not always blowing, sun's not always shining. And with, with fossil fuels, you can make sure that the power is always there and consistent. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and people will say, well, the, the solution is batteries. Yes. I um, hear that a lot. But they haven't thought about the natural resources that go into making that battery. Well, and, you know? and they say batteries and okay. Okay, great. We'll go get the, the, the resources for batteries, lithium, whatever you need, rare earth. And then you ask them, okay, can we permit this new, these new mines? And they're like, no, 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 nope. You can't do that. Okay, man. So you want to, to reallocate to another form of, of energy or storing, whatever. You need more resources, but then you won't let us go get the resources, even though we can do it responsibly. Like, what do you want? I mean, and then then we just go buy it from overseas, and they're they're definitely not respecting the earth and a lot of these countries that we buy all these materials from. It's a, I mean, I've seen pictures of these mines. They're disasters. They're what, what the United States looked like 100 years ago. And, and it's, it's, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. It's like, I would rather do it here where we know we can do it responsibly, thoughtfully, respect the environment while getting the, the minerals and the metals and the coal and whatever else we need out of the ground. But yet we just, we're putting it out of sight, out of sight, out of mind. It's so, it just, it contradicts everything across the board, which, which makes me upset. Me too. It's counterintuitive. And, and so the onus is on us to educate, Right. We need people to understand the implications for the policy decisions that are being made. And that's, you know, that's one reason that I was so tickled that you invited me to, to chat today because it, it's a forum to talk about these things. Yes. Yeah. And I just, I don't know. People are so quick to criticize and they don't really seek to understand, which just, it just makes me so upset. It's like mining. And one of my questions was literally, why is mining so important Everyone in these, everyone in this country, could not live a single day without mining, and yet they're just so quick to criticize it without understanding how important it is. It's like, hey, like you could not even turn the lights on something that simple or charge your phone that you're making this stupid tweet on without what we do. You don't, you just don't understand it. Exactly, and so you know, if if people are interested in what the realities of a, a, of a renewable future would look like. Mark Mills, who is a, a fellow at the Manhattan Institute, has a really good article titled Mines, Minerals, and Green Energy, a Reality Check. So if you Google Mark Mills, it, it's a, just a good article on what the supply chain, what the mineral extraction requirements would look like if we truly want to transition away from fossil fuels. Mm. Uh, and that's one reason North American coal is looking at, you know, diversifying. Um, we recognize that there's challenges to coal, but there is no possible way for us to live in a world where mining is not necessary and vital to the well-being of the United States and the rest of the world's citizens. So we are committed to filling that gap because we've certainly got the skills. Absolutely. So yeah, so North American coal, you guys, a lot of the business is coal. It's not going away anytime soon. So it's not, it's, it's not going away. It's still going to be there. And, and, and you guys are still pursuing that, but you guys are going elsewhere, like North American mining, primarily down in Florida, a lot of limestone. And then can you explain the, the lithium project that's coming down the road? 
Sure. So we are, we've been selected as the contract miner for Lithium Americas. It's a, it will be the, I don't want to mis, misstate, but I believe it'll be one of the largest lithium reserves in the continental United States. And we'll be producing that lithium for our customer, Lithium America. So again, diversifying away from, uh, or not from coal, but certainly adding something else to the mix. Yeah, because you have this you know, skill set and that's extracting things in a responsible manner. You can go apply that to other, any kind of metal, aggregate, whatever it may be. And I think you guys figured that out you know, a few decades ago and, and now you're really aggressively applying it. And it's pretty cool to see the different areas you guys are thinking about going. Mm-hmm. It's exciting. It's an exciting time to be a, a miner. Absolutely. So what uh, we, you, you've talked a lot about the regulations and, and, and so what goes into like, wh- where do you spend your time as far as the regulations are concerned? It, and, and you said you spend a lot of time in, in DC and how active are you in making sure the regulations that are made are fair and thoughtful and, and benefit everybody? Cause I think you hear regulation and you think bad, like, no, 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 no more rules. And it, but, but Early in the conversation, we kind of talked like, hey, it's been a great thing because now coal mining is way more responsible than it ever has been in, in the United States, at least. So what goes into the, the regulation side of things from, from your perspective? So my primary job right now is to, to read the rules and the regulations that are being promulgated and then you know, think about how they would be implemented, boots on the ground comment if we if we think there are weaknesses or there are challenges or there's something that's you know it's that's not right and then the federal agency takes all of these comments and then they promulgate a final rule and as we talked about in Mississippi we absolutely believe in the necessity of the rule of law and regulations but we believe that they ought to be focused on protecting the environment and should provide a framework that industry can then subsequently comply with. So our focus as a, as a regulated entity is a making sure that we understand the rules that are on the books now and how to comply with them. And then as, as new regulations are promulgated, make sure that we understand what's being proposed and the implications and how we would comply with them should they be promulgated in the future. So it's not in, in, when we talked earlier, it's not really an adversarial relationship with these regulatory agencies. You're working hand in hand to make sure it's, it's a win-win across the board. You said the problem is when things become weaponized for other reasons that don't really have to do a lot of times with what you guys are talking about, that the problems start to, arise. Exactly. So, you know, in each state that we operate, again, the the state has primacy with respect to the Surface Coal Mining Act. And so, you know, just as we want to be good industrial stewards of the land, you know, we are working with the state agencies who also want to be, you know, good stewards and and ensure that industry is doing what they're supposed to be doing from a regulatory perspective. And so to expound on that a little bit, you know, at each of our coal mines, we are inspected a minimum of once a month. We have a a state inspector that comes out to make sure that we are complying with with what we're supposed to be complying with. So we have that degree of oversight 
um, in each of our operations. And, and we look forward to it, you know, because we don't, there's nothing to hide. It's, it's open door, open book. Um, and, and having that level of scrutiny from a, from a regulatory perspective gives us a degree of, of certainty in our operations that we can go out and say, yes, we are complying with the law. We are doing what we're supposed to be doing in an environmentally, environmentally sustainable fashion. To speak to the weaponization part, when rules and regulations are promulgated either overtly or covertly with the, with the intent to shut business down, those are the, that's when we struggle as anybody would, right? If, if you're, if you have headwinds against a regulation that is not based on good science, then that's, that's where we struggle. Gotcha. And certainly push back uh, both, you know, commenting and, and sometimes through legal challenges, either independently as an organization or through our trade and industry associations. And it, it is interesting how you pointed out earlier as well that, that you really kind of team up with who would in theory be a competitor of yours because they're doing the same thing that you are, but it's in your both of your best interests to come together and say, hey, this, this impacts both of us equally. We really need to take this on together rather than butt heads here and there. It, it's counterproductive. So it's, it's, I, I like how you guys come together as an industry to really try to create the change and, and impact this stuff rather than mm-hmm. just coming at it from all different angles. Absolutely. And, and the other cool thing I thought about you guys, and this is why I think the mining industry is very understood, uh, misunderstood, is everyone's been so afraid of stuff, of liability largely. And so you guys have these inspectors coming to your sites. You have the state inspector, you have MSHA, whoever it may be. And you guys have such a positive outlook on the inspections because, yeah, there's nothing to hide. And if there are problems, like we want we want to solve them. We want, like if there is a, a safety concern, for example, we want to make sure that's taken care of. Like we want them to point it out because then we can we can handle that. Mm-hmm. And, and And so when working with you guys, it's been so refreshing because we've been able to do the storytelling that we like to do. Uh, with smaller companies, with a large mining business that w- that you just don't see in the mining industry because so so everyone's so afraid of putting themselves out there for criticism or for you know oh the inspector is going to come get or MSHA is going to come get us for this. It's like if you're afraid of that by me posting a picture on the internet, then I think you have bigger problems than me posting a picture on the internet. Like I think you need to go reevaluate your safety program if that's what you're afraid of, and then since everyone hasn't shared anything now, no one understands how mining has actually done the country anymore. Yeah. And, and I think for the longest time, our, as an industry, our philosophy has been, we'll keep our heads down. We'll do the right thing and it'll all work out in the end. And so through that process, we've allowed other people to tell our story and those people may not have had our best interest at heart. So here we are. Absolutely. And we've yes. got a great story to tell. Uh uh, yeah. Uh, and like, and again, I'm, I'm not being paid to say any of this. I'm just, I was just so excited after our visit that I, I want to talk about it because it's, it's so cool what you guys are doing. Um, now going back to environment reclamation, can you just explain for people that have never seen reclamation before? How, how does the mining process work? How does the reclamation process actually work just from A sure. to Z? So if you think about it, if you think about a surface coal mine, and again, I'll use the Mississippi operation as, as an example, we've got, as, as we mine the six different seams of coal, you know, we have six seams of coal, each seam is separated by a layer of dirt 
in various thicknesses. We've got in our active operations, when we get down to our lowest coal seam that we mine, we've got a 200 foot hole in the ground, right? And that hole is about two miles wide. So it's 200 feet deep, two miles wide, and that's that's our active pit. So we uncover a, a layer of coal, we take it, we send it to the power plant, and then that dirt gets put behind. And so we're constantly, if you will, tilling the soil, tilling the dirt about 200 feet deep, right? It's just a great big tilling process. We're taking the coal out, we're putting the earth back behind us. And so what we do is at the mine is we have a, a, we call it our post-mining landscape. So we know what we want the topography to be. We take the unoxidized material, that gray material, we put it on the bottom. And then we take the oxidized dirt, uh, the red dirt, the stuff that was on top before, and we haul it back around and we put it back on top after. Uh, there's not a whole lot of prime farmland soils uh, at the Mississippi mine, but when we do encounter them, we pick them up and we put another foot of prime farmland soils back on, on designated areas back in the reclamation. So it's, it's a very thoughtful, systematic process. And, and we end up with a, a topography that'll be stable, that will be non-erosive, that can support a really strong vegetative community when we're done. Excellent. And, and what's uh, like, you have to test the water quality and, and there's all this testing that goes into this process too. How does that work? Sure. So, you know, as you can imagine with any earth moving process, you, you, you want to move the earth but you want to minimize to the extent possible any interaction with water because water just complicates everything. It makes it more expensive to move. Then you have to treat the water. So uh, what we typically do is if there's a, a stream or, or a, a water feature that's within the mining footprint, we typically divert all of that water around the perimeter so that fresh water stays fresh. You know, right. right? We don't, we don't want any more of it that, than we need to, to deal with what we've got going on. So once we get that water diverted around the perimeter, all we have to deal with is basically stormwater that hits our mining active mining operations. And because they are active and because there is exposed dirt, that water gets sediment laden. So it flows into a, a design sedimentation control pond. The, the sediment is allowed to naturally settle out. And then once that water meets water quality specifications in accordance with, you know, permitted NPDES outfalls, then we, we pump it back into the natural system. So our operations do not have a consumptive use of water. We do use some for dust suppression to keep fugitive emissions down. But for the most part, every drop of water that we catch in a sediment pond ends up back into the natural system once it meets water quality criteria. Okay. And there's, at every mine, it's not just people driving dump trucks and running shovels. You actually have environmental people at mm -hmm. each mine and their job is to just manage the environment, correct? Right. To make sure that we're complying with you know, laws and rules and regulations, that we're complying with our permit requirements, that you know we're meeting our timelines, that we're doing the reclamation, meeting the timing requirements that are outlined in, in the rule, making sure that the proper vegetation is getting planted in the proper place, making sure water quality meets the right limitations, making sure that, you know, we don't have fugitive dust issues. It's, there's a lot of work that goes into it. Yeah. And what, and what you plant, I guess if you, if you were to just scatter the gray dirt everywhere, nothing would grow. 
So that's why you have to Actually, make sure stuff would grow. Really? It would just be, yeah, it's just different. It's just chemistry, right? Yeah. That's, that's why I love geology because I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, the type of person who really needs to see stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when you go out and you look at a landscape, then you can see the influences of chemistry and physics and, and all of these different, you know, sciences in an applied form. So the, the only problem with our, and it varies from site to site, of course, but with our unoxidized material, especially in Mississippi, it's just the pH is higher. So it would grow grass really, really, really well. Okay. It just doesn't grow pine trees as well. Okay. Gotcha. So, but, but you want to be as thoughtful as you can about what was there before, what you want after. And you're not just like going to buy, you know, your bag of grass seed at Home Depot and scattering it out there. I mean, you're even thinking through what exactly it is that you're planting on that. Yes. And what, and, and, you know, certain plants like different conditions, right? Mm -hmm. Grasses and farmlands like a slightly higher pH, pine trees like a slightly lower pH. So, you know, we look at what that post mine land use is going to be and that, the, the property owner tells us what they want and, and we reclaim with that in mind. Okay. And it's, you've hinted at it as well, but it's continuous reclamation. So it's not this enormous hole that you then go back and fill in and go do this whole thing. You're as you're mining, you're, you're the trucks are hauling the material on the other side and dumping it in as and filling it in as you go. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. That, that was one of the most surprising things when I went, I, the first coal mine I went to was black thunder in Wyoming. And that was one of the most surprising things about a coal mine is you just have this narrow strip where the mining's going on and then right behind it, it's already being reclaimed. Mm-hmm. And there's a plan. There's a plan for, for every single coal mine in the United States. There is a plan in place that describes how the mining activities are going to occur, how the environment's going to be protected as mining occurs, and then what the reclamation is going to look like and when it's going to occur and how it's going to occur. And so none of it's being done willy nilly. Do you think regulations like that need to be placed on other parts of the mining industry to make it more sustainable? What do you think about it going elsewhere? Everything's different. Yeah. Right. So mining is unique in that we move a heck of a lot of dirt to only get a relatively small portion of the coal out of the ground, you know, so other industries, aggregates and, and, and other minerals don't have that same luxury. So they have a, a different type of mining that they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. They still have to comply with the Clean Air Act. They still have to comply with the Clean Water Act. And, and their mining practices are, are just different. And so, you know, they have a different set of challenges that they're working with. Gotcha. Okay. So, I guess you personally, what's your, what's your background? Is your background in environmental or is it, you said geology? What, what, Mm -hmm. what are you trained as initially? I have a bachelor's and a master's in environmental geology. What does that mean? What is environmental (laughs) geology? You know, for the first part of my career, I I was a environmental consultant for a, a small consulting firm in North Mississippi. And you do, uh, remediation, a lot of permitting. It, it's taking your understanding of how the earth systems work and then looking at identifying and addressing impacts. And so when I went back and got my master's degree at Mississippi State, when I graduated, it was just as an, another surface coal mine project was kicking off in Mississippi and North American Coal had reached out to Mississippi State University to do a lot of the baseline research 
and I got pulled in just, it was just a matter of being in the right place at the right time. And I got to do a lot of that baseline boots on the ground assessment work through the university for North American coal. And so when a position opened up as an environmental manager, then I was able to transition and been a coal miner since 2008. No kidding. What did, like, what did your family think when you said, yeah, I'm going to work for a coal mining company? I mean, they just, I had previous to this, I had worked offshore. I had worked as a consultant. So this was right up my alley and really? they, they knew it. They were super excited for me. What, what it, about it do you enjoy? What, what drew you to it? Uh, being outside, oh. you, know, you know, seeing the, the manifestation of earth's processes, whether it's, you know, the hydrology and how water interacts with the, the surface of the earth or the coal resources itself, all of those systems and, and processes really just sort of geek me out and I love it. Gotcha. And then in the reclamation, you know, we, we've got some latitude with how we redesign these systems. So we can institute you know, geomorphic principles that will, will result in a, a sustainable post-mine landscape. And that's just really cool. It's just, I don't know. You, you, previously, I thought you just kind of just put the dirt back. But it's so, it's just amazing how well thought out all of it really is. And there's so many different variables and so many different things to consider. It's really, it's, it really is fascinating. And I didn't really understand that until I saw what you guys were doing with Myrna to, to understand, you know, even like the, the shape of the streams you guys were putting in. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's that thought out to really create what the environment should be. And, you know, Myrna is a really interesting outgrowth of, of our mining operations, right? So we've taken decades of experience and, and doing really good reclamation work. And so when the need came for us to do compensatory stream mitigation to offset our impacts, we saw what other companies were doing and the services they were providing. It's like, well, we can do that. And we can probably do it just as well, if not better than other companies, because we've got all of this experience doing reclamation through our coal mining activities. So here we are. I mean, we are, we are firmly in the mitigation business and doing a really good job of it. Can you explain uh, how the offsetting works and what mitigation is? So the, there's a 2008 compensatory mitigation rule that was promulgated by EPA and the U S army Corps of engineers. And to boil it down in its simplest form, it says if you are going to impact a stream or a wetland, then you have to do some mitigation in some form or fashion for those impacts. And, and that mitigation can take the form of permitting responsible mitigation where, a, for example, a mining company says, okay, we're going to have these impacts. We can, you know, fix these streams or wetlands over here and offset those impacts. And it's all permitted through the Corps of Engineers. And then there's there's mitigation banking where a company will go buy a disturbed track of land and they'll go fix it. They'll fix the streams. They'll fix the riparian corridors. They'll return the, the bottomland hardwoods. They'll, they'll fix the wetlands that they're functioning as they did prior to the impacts. And then they can sell those credits that, that are generated from doing all that fixing to people who are impacting streams and wetlands elsewhere. Gotcha. And so that's where we, we, we started in the prime, the permittee responsible mitigation space, you know, basically doing mitigation work for our own impacts. And as an outgrowth of that, now we're in the mitigation banking space doing what we know how to do best. 
and this is a whole other business. So it's mitigation resources in North America, Myrna. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the, the project, we saw a project that Myrna was doing for the Red Hills mine, the, the, the coal mine we've been talking about. So they go dig through a stream or, or disrupt something. And then they had this huge track of land, not too far from the mine, that they were at face value. It looks crazy because you guys are, are just knocking a lot of the trees down. And, you know, there's burn piles. It looks like you're, you're putting in a Walmart there or something like that. You're just clearing the land. But in reality, what you guys are doing, are re- you're restoring the land to whatever it was 150 years ago before agriculture was ever a thing in Mississippi. So you have to get rid of all the, the old trees that should have never been there in the first place to restore the habitat. It's like pressing the reset button on this whole beautiful piece of land to make it even more beautiful you know, 50 years from now. Exactly. So in this part of the world where you visited, and it's really interesting how priorities change, right? So back in the early 1900s, the the priority as a nation was to have good agriculture land Mm -hmm. that didn't flood. So the Army Corps of Engineers came in in the early 1900s, say 1900 to 1920 or 30, and they channelized some of these major drainages to keep this ag land from flooding. And by doing that, it completely disrupted the natural stream system. It, you ended up with head cutting and erosion and these really sediment laden systems. And because, you know, as, as these streams tried to reset and find a new balance, it, it just contributed sediment downstream. And it's, it's sediments, a significant pollutant. People don't think about it, but, but it is. And so what we're able to do with that particular tract of land is like you say, we hit the reset button. We are putting new stream channels in that are reconnected to their floodplain so that they can behave as as nature intended. We're designing the new channels to be like they would have been before, you know, before settlement. We're choosing species that were native to this part of, of the country before everybody decided that a pond plantation was the way to go. So we're doing a lot of good work. It's just so interesting that if something as simple as removing the water from somewhere can disrupt the entire ecosystem like that. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't know that before we went out there and they, and, and again, these are most of the people that work for Myrna used to be coal miners, right? They, they came from North American coal. They were just doing the environmental work at North American coal for the mines. Then they came over to this new company. So they used to be coal miners, but they're just so they're so well educated on how the environmental or, or how the environment works and how it should work and why they're doing this, why they're doing that. So to the uneducated eye, it just looks like pandemonium, but then you start talking, talking through the process and it, it really becomes like artwork at the end of the day. It's, it's really beautiful what they were doing. I agree. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's so cool. Why going to just coal miners in general, I feel like miners are very misunderstood. People think they're just totally uneducated Neanderthals with <laughs> pickaxes. It's just like, it's such a, such an antiquated public perception of miners. How are the people that you work with at North American Coal? What are they like? What are the people out on these mines actually like? They are some of the most genuine human beings you will ever you know, have the luxury to meet. They're, they're people. They, they have families, they have community, they care about 
their jobs. They care about the company. They care about the environment. You know, they care about each other. It's a, it's a family at each of these mine sites. It's a family camaraderie. I, I can't, I can't speak highly enough about coal miners in general, you know, just because a person has chosen to operate a piece of heavy equipment doesn't mean that they're diminished in, in any sense of the, the imagination. I mean, they, and we, we're just, we're just people and community involvement is really important. It's an important part of North American coal's philosophy where heavily involved as a company in the communities where we operate. And then the people themselves, I mean, we've got fire, we have one mine in, in North Dakota, for example, that four of the supervisors are also fire chiefs in each of their respective communities. There's just a high level of involvement and caring associated with, with our folks. Well, wow. And I mean, a, a, where a lot of these mines are is pretty rural. So the best job around is typically at the mine, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It, and again, back to Mississippi, because it's one of the areas where I'm most familiar. We are the largest private employer in Choctaw County. Wow. Huh. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, that was another thing that surprised me going there was how, how just stoked everyone was to be there and how like we, we met this one guy, he was, he was running this D10 up on the stockpile and he, he, I don't, I don't know how many times I should have counted how many times he said he's just how blessed he is to have the job he does. And I've never heard someone preaching to me about how blessed they are to have their job. It's like, I hope people at our company will say that one day. Cause good grief. This guy is really just, just so thankful to be there getting a paycheck. And, and then it's like, you have a lot of people, you know, younger people these days kind of entitled and think they deserve a paycheck anywhere. And it's just a total different perspective, a total different sense of humility. These guys come from that. I, I really have learned to love and appreciate that isn't really found elsewhere in society. And a lot of it has to do with just our company's philosophy and the emphasis we put on safety and people and empowerment to, to do a good job and to do the right thing always. But a lot of it's just the people themselves. We have a knack for hiring really good human beings. In general, why does mining make such a great career? Like, why should people think about mining as a career? Man, it can. And, and North American Coal and I, I, probably most of the other mining companies out there as well. I mean, there's there's not a lot of turnover. We're well paid. We you know, have really good benefits. And for for some of these operations, I mean, they'll be around for 50 to 100 years. So why would you not want to go somewhere where you can spend an entire career supporting your family, supporting your community yeah, and being supported by a really good company at the same time. Yeah. And these tech companies, yeah, they have a ping pong table, but they don't have a trophy bass pond. That's true. Yeah. I mean, That's a perk. North, it's a perk. You can yeah. go catch a, a 13 pound bass. And, and the interesting thing is it's also, uh, I've thought about this a lot about the college versus not college conversation and how people make it it's binary. It's one or the other. So to be in blue collar, you don't go to college and you don't need to go to college. Yet here you are in mining with a master's degree. It, it, it doesn't matter if you go or not. You can go and you can be in mining. Those, those two things, they, they don't, going to school doesn't disclude you from, from being in the industry. No, not at all. And, and in fact, some of our best engineers have come from the field. 
you know, they started out as heavy equipment operators. Maybe they had an associate's degree. Maybe they didn't have anything at all and then decided that they wanted, they wanted to come into the office. They wanted an engineering degree. They wanted to help be part of the planning and on the front side rather than on the, the earth moving side. And so there's a pathway for that to happen, mm-hmm. but you, you need everybody. Yeah. You need, you need the engineers, you need the environmental folks. You, you absolutely have to have the boots on the ground, men and women in the field, driving the equipment, making the earth moving happen. And I like the humility in, in mining is, is a real thing because no one is better than anyone else. And even the managers at these mines, like they, they're willing to do anything that anyone else there is to do. And they know that like, they're not the ones that make the money. It's the guys driving the trucks that are actually hauling the coal. That's like, that's where the money's made. And, and everyone plays a part in the process and, and you need everyone to make the thing function. And if one person's not there, things are thrown off. It, it's that easy. It really is about the people. Yeah. Right. It, and, and that's not just mining. And I think that gets lost when people talk about industry or business or, you know, whatever it is, it comes down to the people. And if you if you treat people well, and I mean, you have high expectations and, and there's an, an atmosphere where people can thrive, then more than likely you're going to be successful. I agree. With mining in general, I, I touched on it and talked about it, but in your opinion, why is mining so important to today's society? Everything that we rely on from power to our computers, to cloud computing, to, to our cell phones, everything has a mineral component to it. Mm -hmm. And we need, we need mining. We need to be able to extract elements from, from the earth and do it in an environmentally sustainable manner for us to be successful as a nation. And, and you think, just for the sake of clarity, mining and being environmentally conscious go hand in hand. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, and, and the other mining companies that I know and that I've had the, the pleasure and opportunity to work with feel the same way. It is, it is cool. And it, it just, it does bum me out that they're like these mining companies are portrayed as these big corporations that are just there to destroy the earth for their own monetary right. gain. And it's like, no, 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 no. They're, they're there to actually give you everything you in your life that you need to, to live. That's, right. and then, yeah, I mean, they're going to make a, a buck doing it because they need to feed their families too, just like you do. It's, it's, it's no different than what you do. Right. And you need, there's, there's a degree of responsibility for, especially for publicly traded companies, you know, they have to be responsible to their shareholders but you know they have to also be responsible to their employees and to the environment and 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 to all of these other pieces that make companies successful it's as you say it, it's not the sole focus on the bottom line like everybody thinks that it is yeah yeah i um i know i i'm just trying to trying to get the word out about this this industry cuz it's so cool like, you know how cool it is i know how cool it is i want everyone I to know how cool it is well, and I appreciate it. And to, to that extent, you know, if, if people are listening to this and they want to go see what a surface coal mine looks like, reach out to somebody. Most of the operations that I know are willing to give tours, call them up, set up something, go see, drive around, uh, look at, look at 
what it is that maybe you're even against. I mean, one of the most interesting conversations I ever had was with somebody from the Sierra Club who came out to our mine and they were ready to pick it apart. And then when we were walking around and we looked at the active operations and then we looked at the, the reclamation, they were like, okay, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. So people need to take the time to educate themselves. Yeah. I, and I did that maybe two months ago. Now I actually went out to the border fence construction project for the sake of my own curiosity. Cause it's something that's so talked about in the news. So something that's so controversial. I wanted to just go see it for myself. And, and I talked about this online. Some of my perceptions were confirmed and some of them were proven completely false, but I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't actually experienced it, saw it for myself and really tried to understand it from both perspectives it, rather than just consuming someone else's opinion about it that I don't know if it's based in any kind of factual evidence or not. Like it could just be totally made up and yet, oh, they're saying it on the internet, so it must be true. It's mm-hmm. it's just it's a, I wish people, more people would experience things, experience things. Like I wish I could take everyone I know out to the Red Hills mine, for example. Like, all right, let's just, let's just do a big field trip. Like everyone in my life, come on out. Let's go experience a coal mine. Cause I think everyone would really love being there. Even if they've, they could care less about mining. I, it's just, it's just cool and just fascinating how this whole world works that no one's really seen before. Yeah. I mean, even in the, even in the state, you'll have people that come out and say, oh, I didn't know there was a coal mine and and wherever they are, are we going underground? I'm like, no, you're not going underground. We're staying in our truck and we're driving around. Yeah. And and life is good. I I had so many messages when we visited Mississippi. I didn't know there was a coal mine in Mississippi. I lived there my whole life. Uh Uh-huh. It's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. Even my parents, when, you know, I first got this job and and brought them out to the mine to show them around, they were just in awe. And my mom is born and raised in Mississippi and had no idea that this existed. That's pretty cool. And so you were, the mine there in Mississippi, have you been around there since pretty much the beginning or was it a different, which one were you involved in getting started? So I was involved in getting the one started that was going to supply coal to the uh, IGCC gasification facility outside of Meridian. Okay. That's where I got my start with North American coal. And then later the environmental manager position opened up at the mine in Ackerman, which has been around since the late nineties, early two thousands. And they're supplying coal to the, to the TBA power plant there. Okay. And we're almost done here, but I feel like we didn't touch on this. The purpose of the coal mines that you guys operate is to supply a specific power plant, correct? So Mm -hmm. the power plant is essentially right next to the mine. Absolutely. Yep. They're the colloquial term is a mine mouth operation. So you have the mine okay. and you're taking the coal right next door so to an the, adjacent. So the coal, the only coal you produce is to feed that specific power plant. Yes. It's really interesting because some coal mines, they go put it on trains and it goes elsewhere. And you guys don't do that. Nope. Our business model is slightly different. And, and you're in North American coal, you're a contract miner. So they pay you to move the coal to the power plant. You're the operator of the mine. Yes. Except for the the site in Mississippi, and we do own that mine in totality. But for the, for our other operations, we are contracted to mine the coal, and our operations provide a service. North American Coal provides a service to that utility to mine coal that they own and provide it to that power plant. Okay. I feel like I should have covered that uh, like 50 minutes ago, but I'm not very good at interviewing. So I just wanted to <laughs> circle back on that very simple concept. 
Well, as far as like what you wish, I mean, we've covered a lot of it. Is there anything you wish people knew about the industry or like if you could get on a soapbox, like what would you, what would you talk about to people that have never been in mining, maybe misunderstand mining, maybe be totally against mining? I would ask people to take a deep breath to go out and, and visit one of these mine sites, if at all possible. And then to understand that everything that we do is in a highly regulated environment, whether it's coal mining or aggregates or heavy minerals, you know, we pay attention to the air, to the water, to the important components associated with the environment and with mining. And we do it responsibly and we're proud of it. And there's a place for us in the U.S. moving forward. Love it. One of the other questions I think I asked when I was in Mississippi, and I just think this is interesting. How dependent is it, like the administration that sits in office at any one time? Does it really affect you guys? Because like for my business, for example, administration, it's like it might affect us a little bit, but I just kind of is what it is. Whoever's sitting in the chair in the Oval Office, like it's it's not that big of a deal for us. For you guys, does it really sway things one way or the other every four years? It can. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, because you have you have people with different priorities. And and so when when administrations change, then people with different priorities head up EPA, head up the Department of Interior, head up all these different agencies. And the rules and regulations that are promulgated under those different administrations can look drastically different. So it's not it's not really whoever's at the top, it's who they're picking to lead these these agencies mm-hmm. that really affects you guys. Yes. Well, and, uh, and, the, and the person at the top is driving those decisions, right? Yes. So yes. they're putting the people in that, that they want to lead those agencies for the next four years. But what, what's interesting uh, as a result of this conversation, though, it's okay. The right wants coal mining, you know, jobs. Let's go mine. Let's go produce things in the United States. Let's stop buying stuff from other other places. This is all good left is like, Hey, we have to protect the environment. We need to, and not saying they're, they're not saying there's no one on this side, no one on that side, mm-hmm. but the left is largely, we need to go protect the environment. We need to be more responsible and, and be better environmental stewards. You're kind of saying you can do both. You can do both all day long. Yeah. It's, it's not an either or issue here. No. And with a well-crafted rule and a well-crafted regulation, both sides can marry in the middle. I mean, we can have a strong industrial mineral component in the United States and still be uh, environmentally responsible. I love that. I love that. It took us an hour to get there, but we're there. And I think, I think we end on, end on that note. Cause that's a very high note. Awesome. Um, if people want to learn more about this stuff other than going to visit a mine in person, which, which you recommend, but they are, you know, not in the middle of uh, every major city where do you think people should go to maybe learn more? You cited an article. I can include that in the notes. Is there anything else, any other resources out there? You can go to the the NMA website, the National Mining Association website. They've got really good information about the mining sector out there. I'm sure there's other places that I would love to send you. I'll mm-hmm. just do some thinking about it and I'll send you that information. Yeah, send it over and I'll include it in the notes on this episode so people can look at stuff if they would like to. And hopefully we have a lot more, a lot more stuff coming down the road with North American coal here. 
this I'm this next year. To it. You and me both. Yeah, we're in the same same boat there. Well, Rebecca, I, I really, really, really appreciate the uh, just the honest conversation here. Me too. All right, everybody. Well, that was uh, Rebecca McGrew. She's again manager of environmental and regulatory affairs with North American Coal. Uh, contract mining business across the United States that we've been working with for a little bit now. Really excited for what's coming down the road. Hopefully that was a totally different conversation. Uh, I know we haven't really had a conversation like that on this podcast. I have a lot of these conversations with a lot of the people in mining, but I'm trying to get it out there in a more public forum, trying to create, trying to trying to educate people, trying to really, really just show people what goes on in this industry at face value without anything else skewing the, the perception. So hopefully... This was awesome. If it was awesome, go share it with with whoever would think it's awesome. I think we're up to about five listeners now, so we're just growing this amazing audience, the very very captive audience that's that you guys are always sending me messages, the five of you. So really appreciate it, and we will see you on the next one.